Welcome to Egress Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, President and Rosh HaYeshiva of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. This week we're going to look at Tshuvot on the topic of I, immersion, or Tevilag, issues relating to a woman going to the mikvah. Today's topic is one that I entitle uh, Swimming Pools and Mesirat Nefesh, which seem, or Mesiras Nefesh, which seems like an interesting combination, but we'll see why. We start with the tshuva that Rav Moshe Feinstein wrote in June 1981. This is from Igris Moshe Yerodeah 417. And here's the actual heading of the tshuva. It says in an explanation, So people might be aware, especially people from my generation, that one of the first books that came out on Hilchos Nida in English with a high level of detail was Rav Shimon Eider, who was a Rav in Lakewood. And he asked Rav Moshe Feinstein a number of questions uh, when he was in the process of writing the book to clarify some issues. So what's the issue here? So here's the question. This is subsection 19. Is there a value, an ideal, to not marry children who were conceived when their mother was a Nida, even though now we know, we see them, and that they are people of upstanding character and highly observant and so on. Now, of course, what this really means is is there a problem of marrying somebody who's a Balchuva, a man or a woman who came from a non-observant family, and we can assume that the parents did not keep Hilchot Nida, and therefore the children were conceived when the woman, when the mother was a Nida. And if we say that, there's, that that creates some type of a halachic or some type of a religious problem, then that will lead to an attitude to not marry people who are Balei Tshuva, no matter what their level of personal character and of observance is nowadays. So where is this coming from? It's coming from the fact that the Gemara actually says that a child conceived when the mother is in Ida has some type of a pagam, some type of a metaphysical stain on their soul. On their soul. You might remember that Rav Moshe in an earlier tshuva, which we dealt with with infertility, said that that was not a, something to be concerned about when it did not come through the act of intercourse, if it came through artificial insemination. But anyway, here he's dealing with this question about how worried should we be with this. So Rav Moshe says the following. He says, Look, you have to understand that as a halachic matter, this is not a halachic issue. People that are conceived this way are permissible even to marry Kohanim, which normally there are more restrictions about whom they can marry. And then he says, it's true that Shulchan Aruch says that Shuhu Pagum, that this is some type of a Pagam, this is some type of a uh, stain on them. Um, so he says, nevertheless, This is not a halachic issue, it's just ideally we should keep our distance. It's a good advice. When the, uh, when the alternative is available. So, okay, but still, as a general policy, you know, which, I mean, if somebody falls in love with somebody of, like this, then fine. You shouldn't say it's a reason not to get married. But as a general policy, should that mean that we shouldn't be dating Ba'alei Tshuva? So Rav Moshe here does something brilliant, and he says the following. Since it's not a halachic issue, therefore... What's the concern? The concern is that this stain on the soul is going to lead to people of bad character. We assume that that leads to children of bad character, like brazen and so on. So then Rav Moshe says, 
אם כן, יש לנו סימן שאלו בנים ובנות שהם בעלי מידות טובות ואין להם עזות, הרי אין להם בני נידות. So, Rav Moshe says, okay, so if the problem is that they have bad character, and we see that these people have good character, um, so maybe a different posek would have said, you see that even though they have this begam, whatever it is, it doesn't have the effect it was supposed to have, and therefore nothing to worry about. But Rav Moshe takes it one step further. Rav Moshe says, this is a proof that they don't really have the pagam at all. Now he goes on to say that obviously something like this would not be a normal standard, meet standards of proof if this was a technical halachic issue, if this was a real halachic concern, but because this is just an issue of an ideal, an etzah tovah, good advice, we can use this as enough proof that they don't have a pagam. Now how could they not have a pagam if they were conceived when their mother was a nida? So now Rav Moshe says the following, that maybe it's possible that their mother wasn't a nida. How is that possible? even though we know that the mother did not go to the mikvah, maybe when she went swimming in the ocean or swimming in a public swimming pool, and here Rav Moshe just drops a little bit of a bombshell and he says, oh, you know, because most of those swimming pools might technically actually be kosher mikvaot, at least at a biblical level. So at least from a Torah level, and she didn't satisfy rabbinic requirements of nida, but at least at a Torah level, she is no longer a nida. And how about she was wearing a bathing suit? Well, a bathing suit is in a chatzitza. And therefore, that saves from this metaphysical stain. And then he says, and even though she didn't have intent to go to the mikvah, when it comes to these types of issues, you don't need intent. Intent for immersion is only for matters relating to Tuman Tahara, not for these issues about husband and wife. And then he says, what about the fact that she didn't count her seven clean days? Or, well, actually, seven clean days isn't a biblical requirement. What about the fact that she wasn't aware that it was seven days from the outset of her bleeding, and she wasn't certain that she had stopped bleeding, a hefshek tahara, all those things? But she says, fine, but God knows that she was that her bleeding had stopped. And therefore, we can assume that she happened to have gone swimming in a way which made her not anida, in a way which was after her period of menstruation and seven days, and uh, in something that technically was a kosher mikvah. And therefore, he says, we should, have, we should not have any hesitation from dating and marrying a ba'alei tshuva. So, of course, there's a major policy reason to be adopting this principle, and other poskim did and came to it through a different way. But Rav Moshe uh, very brilliantly arrives at this through, um, you know, through arguing that maybe she wasn't, they weren't b'nei nida altogether, because maybe the swimming pool that the mom went to was kosher. Now, saying an ocean is one thing, but swimming pool, really? It's hard for us to f- understand, and we're not going to go into the details of Hilchot Mikvaot, but, you know, you would think you would need to start with rainwater. Well, okay, but the water from the swimming pool comes from the faucet, and the faucet gets it from the reservoir, and the reservoir maybe is rainwater. Well, you know, isn't going through the pipes, an issue of Shuvim, and so on, so we could go through the whole analysis, but it's shocking and fascinating that Rav Moshe says that actually that would not po- quite possibly not be any technical problem. Now this issue of swimming pools actually has a fascinating history because Rav Moshe in one or two other places deals with this. We're first going to look at a more 
practical contemporary question he was asked, and then we're going to look at how this was an issue that went way back to when he was a Rav in, uh, in Eastern Europe. So the next Shuva we're going to look at is from Yordeo 1, 101. This is from May 1957. And the topic is, a swimming pool, a filter, and there is a filter. Does this make it invalid? And he describes that this is a swimming pool. This is to Ephraim Greenblatt, who was a major Talmud of Rav Moshe. Regarding a swimming pool, it was actually made in the ground in a way in which, I mean, we all go to enormous you know, uh, ends to try to construct kosher mikvaot. And somehow this swimming pool happened to satisfy the criteria. And first they wait for terrain and for there to be the minimum amount of water that would make it a kosher mikvah. Now, I have no idea what the circumstances here are. It's one thing to say that it's drawing on water from a reservoir, but I don't know who's building a swimming pool and you're waiting for it to first rain so that it'll be a kosher mikvah. One wonders if the Rav of the community actually was doing this intentionally and knowing that women would go swimming, but the women of his community might not be going to the mikvah and trying to construct it in a way that it would be a kosher mikvah. Anyway, I don't know the circumstances, but that's the question. So you have the 40 se'ah, uh, the minimum amount of kosher rainwater, then you add extra water that does not invalidate it. That's what we do in our mikvahot nowadays. And the question is, does the filter, is that going to invalidate it? Because the filter, the water goes into the filter, gets cleaned, comes back out. Does that make the water considered to be she'uvim, drawn? So Rav Moshe says, I don't fully understand the exact construction, but it seems to me what you're saying is that all of the water eventually gets filtered. And that could be a problem, because even though when you draw some of the water and put it back, even if that makes that water considered drawn, because the rest of the mikvah's kosher doesn't become invalidated, if you wind up doing that so that after a while you've done it with all of the water, at least there are some positions that then it does invalidate the mikvah. But then the Rav Moshe says whether it makes the water considered drawn has to do with is the filter something that can function even before it's connected to the ground? If it's something that only is made to be connected to the ground and only really functions that way, it doesn't change the status of the water. And then he asks another question. So it probably is not an issue of shu'uvim, depending on how the filter is made. And then he asks another question. But isn't the water moving? And the water is supposed to be stationary. And this issue of moving water, zichila, can also invalidate a mikvah. So this is actually a quite a relevant question for mikvah that comes up in a good number of circumstances. And how much movement is considered movement? Does it have to be zichila hanikeret? You can see that the water is moving. But here there's another issue. It's not flowing away from the body of water. It's moving into the filter and coming back. So if Moshe says that really is not a problem. When we tzad zechila from the issue of the flow, yotir notesh ain't kampsu. That's not a problem. Kivan debaim lahav filter vechosrim lim command. They come to the filter and they return. Kidis baramasi ifnen meharivash. Okay, and therefore he concludes that this is probably totally okay. It's not a problem of zechila. Shuvim depends on how the filter is made, but uh, most likely it is fine based on that. And he says avakzat yeshli stapek ulay maat dafka v'hayatov lafsika vodat hafilter b'shat hatvila. Maybe it's best to play it safe, to have the filter not working when women are using it for a mikvah. Now that sounds a little different. It sounds like they would actually have a dual-purpose swimming pool. There would be swimming hours and mikvah hours, and then you could actually turn off the filter. So Rav Moshe here concludes that most likely it's fine. There are one or two things you might have to attend to. Now, it's quite fascinating. We already have now two to vote about how a swimming pool might serve as a mikvah, and one wonders what else might be going on. So now we turn to a uh, fascinating 
aside that Rav Moshe makes in a Tshuva in Orachayim 1, 126. This is from January 1933. And this is in Lubin. This is in where Rav Moshe came from in Eastern Europe. This is still before he emigrated to the United States. And he wants to know, what is the story? They heated up the water in a mikvah, because women would want to go to a warm mikvah, of course. And But they did it, and a, this is for a Friday night use, but it was done that a Jew heated up the water. So is that a problem now about benefiting in general? There's a problem about how can you immerse yourself in hot water on Shabbat. That's a whole discussion in the post-scheme, but we find out ways to make our peace with it when it comes to women going Friday night. But here the problem is that it was heated up by a Jew. Is that going to be a problem? Benefiting from the work of a Jew on Shabbat. So Rav Moshe starts the tshuva with the following historical uh, framing, and he says the following. Once God, in God's kindness, we've had the opportunity to create, to establish a mikvah even at the time of the decree, even at the time when we were not allowed to practice our religion. These are the circumstances which eventually led Rav Moshe to emigrate. He says, how did we establish a mikvah? In a public bathhouse. In a way that the government was not aware that we had actually worked to make sure that this public bathhouse would be technically a kosher mikvah. But now they're heating up the water on the on Shabbat. And the worker there was a Jew, presumably a non-observant Jew. And therefore, the water is also hot water that was heated up by a Jew on Shabbat. And I was asked if women could use it because this is obviously a terrible exigent circumstance. There's no other place to be tovel. And clearly there's no other place. You know, it's forbidden to go to the mikvah. Rav Moshe found this amazing way to construct the mikvah that nobody knew about it. And now the question is, can they go on Shabbat? And he writes his whole tshuva about using it because the water was heated. Um, but of course, this reflects a fascinating story. And I want to just read a passage from the book Rav Moshe, which was a biography authorized by the family after Rav Moshe had passed away. And here's what it says in that book. A municipal bathhouse and swimming pool were being built in Luban. Rav Moshe prevailed upon the non-Jewish contractor to build the pool in such a way that it would be a kosher mikvah. With that construction taken care of, a problem of a different sort had to be solved. Men and women were expected to use the pool at the same time, something no religious Jew in Luban would dream of doing. Unless the situation could be changed, the pool would be useless as a mikvah. Rav Moshe approached a high-ranking official whose respect he had earned and put the dilemma to him this way. The religious community wanted very much to enjoy the new sanitary facilities generously provided by the government, but would not bathe in mixed company. It was important then, in the interest of a public hygiene, that the bathhouse have a few separate men's and women's nights. The official agreed, and the Jews themselves had a mikvah, and the only one for miles around. And this is really fascinating, the degree to which Rav Moshe went to, and because of his uh, Mesiras Nefesh, and actually I, there's other ver- stories, and probably that he, had, that he bribed the officials in order to let them construct it in this way, he really enabled all of the Jews in Luban and in the surrounding region to have a mikvah and to continue to use a mikvah even during um, this period, and for husband and wives um, to be together, to able to have marital harmony and to be able to have 
uh, conceive children and so on. So it was quite amazing. And uh, you see that reflected, I think, about this awareness of swimming pools and mikvaot and so on in these other chuvot. I want to just end with a brief reference because of this issue of misirat nefesh, to have a mikvah and to use a mikvah. It's worth noting one final chuvah of Rav Moshe in Choshe Mishpah 142 from December 1959. And the question was, what hinei bedavar binyan mikvah this principle we have in the Jewish community that building a mikvah comes before building a shul. Where's this from? Even if, well, you could say, first of all, it saves people from serious averot, from serious transgressions. If you don't build a mikvah, they'll have sex when the, and the woman will be a nidan. That'll be a major transgression. Obviously, that comes first. But Rav Moshe says, even if people are going to be super from and without a mikvah, they're not going to have sex. He says, but okay, what's the cost? You won't fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu. And not only will you not fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu, even if you've had kids, you won't fulfill the mitzvah of having more children. And what is central to marital life, which is being able to have husband and wife being able to have sex. And any one of these, says Rav Moshe, would be sufficient to say that this takes precedence over building a shul. You would even have to sell a Sefer Torah and even a shul in order to marry a woman if a man needed to do so to get the funds. So therefore, certainly it would apply to something like this, which is communal, applies to the whole city, and has these types of major consequences. And then Rav Moshe says, look, it is true if you actually already have a shul that you normally don't sell that in order to get married or so on, but that's because a shul is like like a place where we live. The Gemara says people don't want to sell their homes, and therefore once you own a shul, you don't go ahead and sell it. But Rav Moshe says that that's only once you have a shul, and not only that, if you really have no choice, even if you have a shul that is built, you would have to sell the shul if there is no other way to build the mikvah. And then Rav Moshe goes on beautifully to say that the principle of peace between husband and wife is so great that the Gemara says that God's name could be erased in the, in the mitzvah of Sotah. And Rav Moshe says based on that, so because of that issue of Shalom ben Ish Ishto, he says, that you actually turned a space in the shul into a mikvah, a space that had been used for a sanctuary. Maybe they had multiple sanctuaries, and we use that space for a mikvah. A mikvah is more important, and that takes precedence over using that space as a shul. If for the sake of marital harmony, God's name could be erased, how much more so could you use space in a shul and sell a shul to make a mikvah? And then Rav Moshe just ends by saying, Certainly mikvah comes first. And Rav Moshe, and this is a very important principle when posts can deal with Nida questions, Rav Moshe says, even if it means that the people are not, not going to go to the mikvah, even if it means that people will go to the mikvah, but they'll just go a place that's far away. Okay, so first of all, because of the schlep, some people might not go, but B, because of the schlep and you have to drive, nobody's going to go on Shabbos for a Friday night, and that means that they're going to miss one night. 
to be together, husband and wife. So, you know, some Paskim will say, fine, it's one night, you know, be machmir. Rav Moshe says, even missing one night, and this is a very important principle when it comes up to mikvah questions and nida questions, even missing one night between husband and wife is a great sacrifice, prevents, gets in the way of shalom ben ish ishto. And Rav Moshe says, and in this situation, of course, we have all of these considerations. But even if it just meant one night, the importance to build a mikvah here, so people don't have to travel to a mikvah and prevent them from going on Shabbat, even that takes precedence. And Rav Moshe says, and of course, not everybody is going to be so from. And if you don't have a mikvah of easy access, maybe why you want to turn your swimming pool into a mikvah, then some people will not be using it. So the collection of these two votes, now you see why I've entitled this Swimming Pools and Misirat Nefesh, shows a fascinating discussion of dealing with issues of immersion, being obviously policy about marrying Balei Tshuva, being aware that swimming pools might be actually kosher mikvaot, especially if they're constructed in certain ways, and uh, the Mesiris Nefesh that Rav Moshe had um, to ensure that the, in Luban, he made it possible for the entire town and all of the environs to people to use a mikvah, for husband and wife to be together, for them to continue to have children, and uh, his strong position, of course, which is the tradition within every Jewish community that a mikvah is really the more important institution and takes precedence over the Beit Knesset. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out ycTorah.org to learn more.